Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Station of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? I am I am thrilled to be back on the air. It's been uh, it, several weeks since I've been able to join in on, on the fun of one of the, uh, the podcasts. Yeah, except I... You, you, this is the first... When was the last time you and I did one together? It's, was it after Michigan? I think it was Michigan State. Michigan State, I think. Okay. Oh, Which feels like a lifetime ago. Well, the thing is, I'm trying to like... I think I forgot about that because I'm trying to forget the existence of Michigan State because I want it to be similar to what's going to happen after D'Antonio retires after this season. So neither here nor there. Let's talk instead about what happened over the weekend. Penn State took on Indiana and Happy Valley. It was, I think... A lot of people expected this to be a close game, and it kind of turned into what, again, I think a lot of Penn State fans expected it to be. The Nittany Lions came out on top 34-27 to to move to 9-1 and on the season at 6-1 and in conference play. Sean Clifford, uh, at, we will say he had an effective game, uh, 11 for 23 through the air, 179 yards and a touchdown, 10 carries, 55 yards and two scores. Journey Brown, 21 carries, 100 yards and one touchdown. Passing game, we're actually going to talk about that in a little bit, so I'll skip right over that. Defense didn't exactly have uh, its best afternoon, allowing 27 points to the Hoosiers, 462 yards of total offense, and I think that Despite the fact that it's a win, despite the fact that we're all really happy about the win, I, I want us, Matt, to start by talking about the Nittany Lion defense because it seems like this has become a bit of a trend in recent weeks, uh, and they're going to have their toughest test in uh, by the time everyone listens to this five days. So Penn State's defense will add 462 yards of total offense, 27 points, 371 of those yards came through the air. When I mention the Penn State defense to you, what pops into your mind as to why you think this unit struggled against Indiana and just basically has been struggling in recent weeks? Well, I think if you even go back to early on in the year, um, even you know, the Buffalo game and the Pitt game, to, to mention the, the probably the two that jumped to mind, they've had their struggles impacting the passing game, whether that be with stellar secondary play or being able to get to the quarterback. Um, you know, Craig had the piece on the site last week that broke this down, but they've just really, as a as a defense, have struggled to generate sacks for sure and even really consistent pressure. Um, you know, it feels like almost a surprise when, when they're able to generate and impact the, the passing game by affecting quarterback play. And... I think it really starts up front. I think every defense wants to be able to generate pressure with four or five guys and be able to drop six or seven into coverage. And regardless of how good your secondary is, if you're giving quarterbacks three, four, five seconds to sit back in the pocket and let guys find holes in zones, let guys beat their guy man on man, it's going to happen regardless of how good you are. And that's really where it starts for me. Um, But at the same time, this is, I think, the the Indiana game yesterday or Saturday was just the latest example of the secondary giving up record-setting days. I think um, it's what the third or fourth time this year that a quarterback's had a had a career high yardage day against Penn State secondary, and it's I don't know the, the answer why. We, Bill, you and I have talked about this um, on and off during the day today, and even leading up to the game. Like what? 
is this a, you know is this being the secondary struggling because they can't get pressures they they can't get pressure because the quarterback's getting the ball out fast and the secondary isn't covering them I think it's a little bit of everything and I've kind of been tossing this around in my my mind on and off today that it's almost like they feel like they're caught in between you know when they when they bring pressure they get beat with a, a screen when they don't bring pressure they're they're beat with with uh effective routes against zone coverage it just it it, part of me feels like they're kind of just not making the one play they need to make and when they make a play then they end up getting beaten third and long it just seems like a lot of things are are really really close and then you know someone makes a play or someone doesn't make a play and drives continue or or busted coverages happen and, and explosive plays take place um it's really just it's confounding to me for a lot of reasons but the biggest one is you see how effective they are against the run it isn't like they're getting dominated up front by overly physical lines it doesn't feel like they're physically overwhelmed just for whatever reason they haven't been able to to generate consistent pressure on quarterbacks and like i said a couple minutes ago regardless of who's throwing back there and who's who's going out to catch passes you give a quarterback enough time and in the big 10 they're going to find openings it's interesting because while you were while you were saying all that, and I agree completely that the issue seems to be uh, one of Penn State's front not being able to get enough pressure, I decided to go uh, to cfbstats.com and look up Penn State last year and Penn State where it is so far this year. Currently, the Nittany Lions are at 33 total sacks. Last year, the team had 47, but breaking that down on a per-game basis, Penn State had 3.62 sacks per game last year. This year, 3.3. I think the big reason why a lot of fans might be... Actually, let me go to tackles for loss, too. This year, Penn State is at 76. Last year, they had 107 Uh, 8.23 per game last year, 7.6 per game this year. That is an an obvious drop-off when you're losing that ability to make that one big play or one or two big plays, whatever it might be per game. That's a big thing. I would posit that a lot of that stems from the fact that I think everyone expected Yitor Gross Matos to be able to have the kind of year uh, worthy of someone who was in first round contention last year, uh, 20 tackles for loss, eight sacks this year. He is at 10 and a half tackles for loss and six and a half sacks with those six and a half sacks coming mostly against teams that Yitor Grossmato should be able to, to, uh, dominate, but it's not just him. It's the Depth of this defensive line. Chaka Tony is also at six and a half stacks, which puts him, I mean, he's going to beat the seven, or he's going to beat however many he had last year. He had seven and a half last year. But Jason Owe is at four. Robert Windsor is at two and a half. And then it gets to Ellis Brooks and Micah Parsons is the next guys uh, on the sack total. What I think is basically happening is Penn State's defensive line. I think everyone expected Gross Matos and Tony to take those steps forward and make it so things were going to be a little easier there. They haven't quite done that. I mean, they've been good players. They've been productive players, as the numbers show, but they haven't done it to the extent that they're making their will felt on games all the time, which when you're a good football player, you're going to get that kind of attention from offensive lines. So that happens. And then, like you said, Penn State wants to be able to get home with four or five 
that's not necessarily happening. Then they bring blitzes and we get like what happened on, <clears throat> excuse me, the first touchdown from each of the last two games where if someone doesn't rotate over, a wide receiver is going to be able to walk right into the end zone, which is what we saw with Tyler Johnson of Minnesota. And we saw with, uh, I believe, Ty Freifogel scored that touchdown, for scored the first touchdown uh, for Indiana. So it's this back-and-forth relationship where one unit not playing as well as it as I think everyone thought it was going to, the defensive line leads to the secondary being put under more pressure. And at the same time, the secondary isn't quite a, isn't always able to stay solid. There's a reason why offenses are getting the ball out really quickly. And that's because their players are finding gaps in that secondary and in that back seven to be able to sit down and get the ball from their quarterback. So it all goes together and it's all something that we saw against Indiana Having said that, Matt, you mentioned Penn State's strength as a rushing defense, which was again apparent in this game. 31 carries for Indiana for 91 yards, that's 2.9 per carry. Both Their only two scores came on Peyton Ramsey's sneaks at the goal line. The longest rush they allowed was 14 yards. Penn State's rushing offense was great. I would probably posit, and I'm interested in your thoughts, that Indiana at a certain point basically decided to use its receiving game as its pass as its rushing game. Uh, you know, we'll get the ball out for a nice three, four, five yard completion to move the ball down the sit down the field a little bit. And that probably inflated the numbers a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, it was 371 yards. So that's something you want to clean up. Do you generally agree with me that at a certain point, Indiana went, we're, listen, we know the big plays aren't necessarily going to be there. Let's just try and dink and dunk them up the field since we can't really run the ball. Well, I think part of it, too, was um, Peyton Ramsey, as as solid as he is, doesn't have the biggest arm. Mm-hmm. And when they when they lost Watt Fillier, that took away really their big play threat, um, much like it did when K.J. Hamler went out for Penn State. But I think that is part of your partially true. I think when you struggle to run the ball, but you look for ways to, to get those, you know, those first and second down completions to get yourselves in manageable situations, uh, you know, down and distance wise. Um, I just, I think it's, um, you know, offense is adjusting to what Penn state is doing. You know, they, they got beat for the big plays over the top. So Penn state started playing a little more conservatively. So those shorter passes are there. And that even that will neutralize the pass rush. The ball is coming out, you know, so quickly that, you know, even if you do beat your guy, the ball is gone. If a quarterback does his job, um, whether it's complete or not, you're not impacting the passing game that way. So, um, I, I think it's important to note that certainly in the last two games, you're facing probably two of the three or four best passing offenses in the Big Ten in Minnesota and uh, Indiana. Indiana came in statistically the best passing offense. Um, you know, Minnesota just went to Iowa. Well, they didn't win. Tanner Morgan had, I think, almost 370 yards. Um, and would have had more if not for some some drops that we would have liked to have seen the week before. Um, so it's not like they're they're giving up huge days to to unaccomplished uh, offensive units. Um, certainly, the last two games are that. Um, but it's still with a t- when you look at the names that are out there with whether it's John Reed, whether it's Tariq Castro Fields, Garrett Taylor, Lamont Wade. Um, I do think you mentioned Castro fields. I made the comment, um, on our, our blog slack during the game on Saturday that he just doesn't look healthy. And obviously he went out of the game late with an apparent injury, 
but you just watch him, especially when it comes to to making tackles. He just looks like he's almost shying away from contact in a certain way, um, whether he's trying to protect a shoulder or an elbow or, or whatever it might be. Um, I don't think it's a huge stretch to say he's, he's playing through something. He's missed time um, on and off over the last four or five games. Um, but he just, he, he's a better player than he's shown in the last three or four games for sure. Um, and they've been forced to rely because of the injuries, whether it be to Donovan Johnson, who hasn't played since the pit game or, um, Trent Green's missed or Trent Gordon has missed time on and off. Um, yes, been, Trent Green has not played for Penn state this year. That's, <laughs> that is a relief to know because that opens up all sorts of other questions, but You've been forced to rely on um, Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson and even Joey Porter Jr. a lot more than I think the coaching staff would like to. And I think long-term that, that's going to benefit Penn State you know, in, in a year or two. But ideally, you're not putting true freshmen out there um, in, in one-on-one coverage. And they've gotten beat by it a few times because that's just who they have. And of course, I'm sure I'm, I've got people saying right now, well, why are you doing that with true freshmen? Well, it's you, it's... I'm I'm speaking for a lot of football coaches here, and I say you probably don't drastically change your philosophy because of personnel, and you you have those guys out there because you trust they can do the job, um, and and they've made plays too. And Marquise Wilson, I think, has been a pleasant surprise. Just you know, pick one guy in particular, but they've they've dealt with a lot of injuries and a lot of rotating personnel at cornerback, especially, and I think that. You ask anyone that you know that lack of continuity is going to hurt too. You have um, Tariq Castro Fields mentioned it after the game yesterday. He thinks a lot of the the coverage breakdowns have been the result of miscommunication, and I think that that pans out when you consider the number of different players they've had in there and guys that don't have tons of experience. Um, you know, seeing things the first time, being exposed to things for the first time at the college level, and you're going to have have missed assignments like you see. So. Um, like I've said a few times, I think there's no one magic bullet. It's, you know, a lot of little things that, that are not little plays that aren't being made and really close plays that, you know, if something goes, you know, a little bit one way or another, we're talking about different outcomes. So I don't feel like this is, you know, a, a, you know, huge four alarm fire other than the fact that you've got Ohio state on the schedule next, but it's, it's something that, you know, like we've said a couple of times, it's a trend that you know, is, you know, what's the saying you've been saying, Bill, you know, one, once is a, as a coincidence, twice is something and three times is a trend. I think we're kind of at that. This is a trend now. And, and how do we deal with it? Well, fortunately next week won't exactly be this, uh, gigantic test of the Penn state's defense ability to stop a prolific opponent from scoring points through the air or on the ground. So at least they got that going for him. Uh, there's actually to give the defense some credit, because I don't want it to sound like we're just going to spend this entire episode, uh, you know, bring fire on the Penn State defense. Uh, Derek Lavarse tweeted out a quote from James Franklin after the game, where Franklin said, "Yeah, twenty-seven points is high for us, but not in general for college football." And then Derek pointed out that Indiana, this is the second time this year that they have been held under thirty-one points. Uh, they, their other time where that happened, uh, I'm actually, yeah, it was when they went to East Lansing to play Michigan state and they or 31 or fewer points and they scored 31 in the nose. So they did get held to, I think 10 by Ohio state, State, but that's that's right. That's quite the outlier because we'll get to that. Yes. Uh, yeah. So listen, all a, a good portion of this game, 
I think came down to the fact that Indiana want Indiana's a top twenty-five team. I don't. I think you would. Um, you you would definitely agree with me on that one, Matt. I can't oh, definitely. I, yeah, I do not think there are twenty-five teams in college football better than Indiana. Bill C has that. Bill C of uh, ESPN, not of SB Nation, like I said on the bonus pod, has them at number twenty. Uh, in college football, number 13 offense, number 34 defense, 13th on special teams. Uh, a bit unfortunate that we didn't get to see this offense with uh, their best receiver, Wafilier, out there. It's a bit, it, it, with between him and KJ, uh, I think it's safe to say that it was a pretty different game. Um, but Penn State's defense, it was able to, uh, it was able to prevent Indiana from making big plays I mean, after that, you know, it had a good start and a good and decent enough end of the game, but Indiana scored three points in the second and third quarters. There were positives to take from this game from Penn State's defense. And then you even get to the fact that, uh, you know, Yitor Grossmatos and Shaka Tony both got home. Both uh, Antonio Shelton and Garrett Taylor were able to make something happen in the defensive backfield. That's three tackles for a loss. That's two sacks. You obviously want to see more than that. But it's at a point where I think just getting anything would have been good. Uh, Any little sign that they're going to be able to break out of this slump before they get to Columbus is good. So hopefully, hopefully it's the start of a... This marks the start of a pretty big end to the season for Penn State's defense. I think that's a fair way to say it. I want to move on to the offense. Uh, Matt, this ended up being a really weird one for Penn State's offense. Uh, Noah Kane, it seemed like maybe he was going to be able to go. He wasn't. They ended up going with Jordy Brown, which ended up being a really good decision. And then on a kickoff following Indiana's second touchdown, K.J. Hamler went down, landed on his head. Uh, The... He looked like he wanted to come back into the game, and he was adamant that he was able to play, but the coaching staff decided to hold him out. Hope I think I speak for everyone when I say hopefully he's able to go next week in Columbus. But with them, with no Noah, with no KJ, what did you think Penn State's offense was really looking to do uh, to be able to move the ball in an Indiana defense that ended up allowing 34 points to 371 yards? Well, I think initially they didn't try and change a whole lot. Um, and then after a drive or two, you saw them, and Bill, I think you've rewatched the game, or at least most of the game now, they went with a lot of two tight end personnel, which has kind of been their go-to, um, what, probably 20 25% of the time, I think, is what Dan told us. And I think they found something there that I don't, it's not going to be their their MO going forward if, if God forbid, KJ's not able to go in Columbus on Saturday. But I think they found something that kind of on the fly was able to work. Um, look, losing KJ Hamler magnifies an issue that we've talked about a lot this year that the offense is very reliant on on a couple skill guys, KJ, um, Pat Fryermuth, and to an extent, um, you know, uh, Journey Brown has kind of taken the reins of the running back position. But they haven't had that that third go to re- consistent go to receiver emerge. And that gets magnified, obviously, when your number one playmaker goes out. Now, I think most teams in the country, when they lose their their number one receiver, are going to feel an impact. Um, 
especially when when you lose him early on in a game like that. You go in with a with a game plan about what you want to do, and you don't just throw that out on the fly because all of a sudden the guy's not there. I think you you take some time to adjust. But I went through this actually early today. Penn State had ten offensive possessions in the game, not counting the um, the end of both halves when they they took the, the need to, to run out the clock. Um, they've seven of those came without without Hamler. And I believe they scored on four of those. They had the fumble, um, Sean Clifford's trip sack fumble, um, in scoring position on a fifth, and then punted on on the two times without Hamler in the game. Um, I th- I think the the biggest revelation was they found a bit of a running game. I think this is without going back and looking at the numbers, felt like they're probably their most consistent rushing attack. They didn't obviously Brown had the big run for the touchdown in the second half, but it didn't feel like they were reliant on the the big chunk plays in the running game to be effective. I think when you factor out the, uh, the team rushes, they had close to 200 yards. They averaged close to five yards a carry, um, which are all really good things. And I think whether that works in Columbus is, is the elephant in the room here, but they found a way to be effective in a different way than they really have been really in the, the Joe Moorhead, Ricky Ronnie eras, if you will. Um, they, they, they ground out the, the big play or big drive to, to quite frankly, win the game. Um, obviously Indiana went down and scored, but, um, you know, the, the 10 point lead with two minutes left was kind of a dagger for the Hoosiers. Um, but they found, they found a way without the way they wanted to do it. And, um, that's that's refreshing in a sense. They did something that they haven't really shown an ability to do for three or four years consistently. Now I don't, they're not going to make a living that way. Um, I don't think anyone wants to make a living that way by having 18 play nine minute drives. That's really hard to do. Um, regardless of who you're going against, that's just, that's a lot of plays to, to keep, you know, moving the ball on third down. They convert the two fourth downs. That's just, that's not the way that, that this or many offenses are built to run, especially in, in the college game. And, but it's, it's encouraging to see them finding, you know, they, they weren't trying to fit the, the, mm-hmm. the round peg in a square hole or the square peg in a round hole or whatever. Um, they, they, they adjusted to not having the guy they won that is really the focal point of the offense and rightly so, because he's able to do so much. Um, and they, they were successful with it. They scored, you know, four times they would have scored a fifth time, but you know, for all intents and purposes, if they didn't have the fumble without their, their best skill player in the game. Yeah. And it's, it, it, it's in a way really like you obviously never want to see anyone get hurt. You never want to see someone as important as KJ Hamler get hurt, but it is encouraging that they were able to go out and still win a football game without him. And they were still able to move the ball without him. I, this was the most impressed that I have been with Journey Brown in his time at Penn State. 21 carries, 100 yards, and a touchdown. That's He just had such a solid, such a solid game. He has a back-to-back 100-yard games, which, you know, not this is not an attempt to prop him up over anyone. But, like, that's something Miles Sanders didn't do last year. Miles Sanders, for, his highs were higher, but... He didn't have two back-to-back, just really consistent, grounded-out games like Journey Brown had. Sean Clifford was pretty good with his legs. There was that play where he was able to tuck it and run for a 38-yard touchdown. That was something really, 
really impressive out of him. And if you go back and actually go back and watch that play, the reason he was able to get into the end zone was because his running back on that play was Devin Ford. And Devin Ford went out as a lead blocker and just threw his entire shoulder into some dude on Indiana's chest on about the three-yard line and gave Clifford the room that he needed to walk it in. And then you get to the passing attack. And this was... It, it was less than ideal I, in his two drives and plus the extra drive after the muff punt with KJ Hamler. Uh, Clifford went four for eight, 70 yards with a touchdown. Uh, with catches by KJ Hamler, he had two. Nick Bowers had a touchdown, Journey Brown. And then in the seven drives, full drives that he had after KJ went down, they changed up their offense. They changed up how they were passing the ball. Clifford went seven for 15 for 109 yards. A couple of catches by Pat Fryermuth and Dan, Do- uh, yeah, Jahan Dotson, and then Journey Brown, Ricky Slade, and Mac Hippenhammer got his first catch of the year. What was so interesting to me was the big plays after KJ Hamler went down. Penn State counts big plays as uh, passing plays of 15 or more yards, if memory serves. There were five such, there was one big play with Hamler. When he was on the field, that was for a 41-yard catch. There were one, there were five passing plays that were considered big plays when uh, Clifford went off the field. They were for 17, 15, 21, 18, and 15 yards. They weren't trying to push the ball down the field. They weren't trying to make those big plays that have been such a hallmark of Penn State's offense. I think what probably ended up happening was they ended up getting a little bit more With how the running game was working, they realized they did not have to get those huge chunk plays through the air, and it was something that worked out for them. I mean, if you told me that Penn State was going to be able to win a game after K.J. Hamler went down, I was going to say, well, then it has to happen on the ground, and it has to be with smart options in the passing game because they lose their ability to make those big plays happen, and that's kind of what they did. I this was to me and this might sound like a bit of a stretch but aside from you know going into Maryland and just you know lighting the world on fire this might have been Penn State's most impressive offensive game of the year to me there have been games with more points there have been games with more yards but consi- and, and Matt I'm interested in your thoughts on this Considering how they were able to win this game, adjust on the fly a little bit, and win it without their best offensive player on the field, I by putting up 34 points and 371 yards of total offense, to me, that is just incredibly impressive. And while I still think that there are some areas where he can grow as a coordinator, it's a testament to Ricky Ronnie's ability to uh, steer the ship. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think I'm glad you mentioned Ronnie because I think it, I'm I'm guilty of of provoking some of this on Twitter. It's you know a self fulfilling prophecy to some degree. Um, but Penn State's offense is has room for improvement, and I think sometimes we're guilty of taking. There are things that. X, Y, or Z can do better and thinking this is X, Y, or Z is terrible and should be, you know, scrapped and, and done away with. 
I, you're seeing an evolution and a, a, a level of growth, I would guess, I think I would say, from Penn State's offense as a whole, whether that be from Clifford, whether that be from Ricky Ronnie calling plays, whether that be from, I think we need to mention the offensive line has been... Um, They've been outstanding. Gonna... Like, when I went back and I watched this game, I kept some notes on uh, Penn State's various scoring plays. Their first touchdown, I made a note just said, good job by the offensive line. Second one, great job by the offensive line. Third touchdown, outstanding blocking. Fourth one, they're on the doorstep of the offensive line. One. Matt Limegrover came into this year. Uh, I needed to with me thinking I needed to see something out of this unit or else I was going to start asking some questions about him. They've li- they've been very good this year, and I think this game, they were just outstanding. I think you – it's weird. You, you, It's easy to look at this at the Indiana game specifically and say that they it felt like they didn't do a whole lot on offense. Um, I think a big part of that is um, you look at the second half, they had nine plays. They had two drives and nine mm-hmm. plays total before the 18-play game-winning drive. And they scored they, – they had a touchdown on one of those that took two plays. That was after the the fake punt miscommunication thing that Indiana did. Um, they scored on the second play in the big 35-yard uh, Journey Brown touchdown run. And they had a decent drive after that. They went seven plays and moved it about 30, 35 yards um, before having to punt and, and forced Indiana deep. But it let – Indiana was so good on offense in the second half and so efficient that they ran um, before the fake punt seven plays. Then they had a 14 play field goal drive. Then they had an 11 play touchdown drive and a nine play field goal drive. They, they did a great job of a lot of what we saw. I'm going to go back to the Buffalo game here. What I think a lot of teams have tried to do to Penn state. And what I think a lot of teams try and do in general is when you have the ball, the other team doesn't. And it's really hard to score when that's the case. Um, but Indiana did a fantastic job in the second half, especially of controlling the clock and keeping Penn State's offense off the field. And Penn State scored 14 points on on three drives in the second half, which is is quite frankly pretty good. Um, and I think they they had 20 points in the first half on that would be what six drives or seven drives? I'm, seven drives, I guess. Um, and I think when when we see the SP plus numbers, um, I assume we'll get the the advanced box score. I think you'll see a pretty efficient offensive performance. Um, that's not to say there aren't there isn't room to grow. We talked about one of them. You know, finding more weapons on offense. Um, you know, finding more consistency in the passing game. Um, but you see signs of growth. I don't think a month ago or two months ago, Penn State's capable of that 18 play drive. Agreed. Um, I, I want to. I'm going to mention it because it got a lot of reaction during the game, um, both on text messages with friends and social media outlets that we follow was the, the Will Levis, uh, experiment. I thought it was a horrible decision to use it when they did the first time at the the nine or 10 yard line. I thought it was a great use of, it was a great adjustment without having Noah Kane to bring him in, in those short yard situations in the, on that last drive. Um, and this is not to compare, and I think the 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 reasonable ones among us will will get what I'm saying here. I'm not comparing him to Tim Tebow, but it's that Tim Tebow kind of play where if you run it right, then you're going to get a couple yards every time. And I think Penn State's offensive line, especially, has proven that you can trust them to get a push in that kind of play. And um, 
you know, Franklin alluded to it a little bit after the game, it protects Clifford a little bit from some of the hits he's taken. You can tell he's a little worn down, um, was by the end of the game. Um, I thought it was an, an interesting development. I'm curious to see if we see any more of it. Obviously, we know Levis is capable of throwing the ball. Is there anything they can run off of it? And plus, it's something they put on tape now that um, Ohio State's going to be aware of. I'm not saying they're going to all of a sudden become world beaters with Will Levis at quarterback, but it was it was a a rational thought, in my opinion, to adjust to not having their go-to guy in those kinds of uh, short yardage, power football sorts of situations. Yeah, I wonder how uh, that changes up in the event that they get Noah Kane. Like, if they had Noah Kane, if they're going to be throwing out that package uh, against Indiana, or if they're more likely to use it, because then they have two guys who, if they're running between the tackles, it gets a. It, it, it could be very, very hard to stop them. I actually made. I'm actually not huge on the Levis package because for the same reason I wasn't very huge on the Tommy Stevens package. I don't like the idea if you're going to keep your starting, especially if you're going to keep your starting quarterback on the field, uh, of taking off someone who can influence a play positively because for how much I love Sean Clifford, I don't expect, I don't um, think he's a particularly great route runner, if I had to guess. Uh, no, if, if I if you stick with it, I think you look at what Minnesota does with their, their big, powerful, mm-hmm. I think he's considered a quarterback. They he ran is. against Penn State a couple times. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but maybe you take Clifford out and you run that play. Um, like going back to the Tim Tebow, his freshman year at Florida, they would pull um, Chris Leak, Chris Leak, and they'd put, and everyone knew it was coming. I think they threw the ball maybe once or twice out of that formation all year that season, but he was, you know, incredibly successful um, in that situation, getting the two or three yards that he was in there to get. And I think, um, I don't, I don't, I'm not expecting it to become some huge, huge, thing going forward but i thought it was a an interesting look i thought it was it showed some creativity like i said the first time they ran it it wasn't the best idea um i don't think taking pat Fryermuth off to do it is is the best Correct. idea but um it was an interesting wrinkle and and they they had they it worked the the second and third time they think they got out of it what they were looking for yeah i mean that's basically my thing i don't like it when you're doing something like taking off Pat Fryermuth to put in the quarterback. I think that when they, the big difference between Levis and when they were doing it with Tommy Stevens was when they were doing it with Tommy, I thought they sometimes got a bit too cute with it. It was a little too eager to throw the football to a quarterback and, you know, maybe they're going to do something else out of it. There is more merit, I think, to doing it when you're having that big quarterback just lowering his shoulder and blitzing his way forward. Uh, and then on the third and fourth down play, and you mentioned that they took off Pat Fryermuth to do it earlier in the game. On that 18-play, nine-minute uh, drive, when they brought Levis in for those third and those fourth down plays, they went with Clifford's foot out with Jihad Dotson and then Brown in the backfield and then two tight ends. And I think the two tight end thing is what makes it a little easier to justify in my mind because then you basically have seven offensive linemen and Journey Brown up there. Uh, You can still do some stuff out of there, but that is your power package. That is your package where if you need a yard or two, you're going to go to them. So I'm more okay with it there. Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned the uh, lengthy drive because I – I don't think we can talk about that enough. That might have 
that was one of the most impressive drives we have seen out of Penn State in some time. And Chris Peterson, uh, the SID for the football program, tweeted out this morning that 18 plays 901, longest drive in terms of plays since a 19 play drive against Ohio State for a field goal in 2014. Longest since a nine-minute, 49-second drive against Kent State in 2010. I went back and looked today in 2019. Their longest drive was a 15-play drive against Iowa that took five minutes and 40 seconds. In terms of time, their longest drive was a five-minute and 51-second drive against Idaho that was 14 plays. Those were all... The Idaho game was a blowout by that point. The Iowa game, this is in the second quarter. These circumstances under which this drive happened where Indiana had just scored a touchdown to make it 27 to 24. I I think I put in a, I put in our slack and I said to one of our Indiana fans, fan friends before that drive drive finished, if Indiana scores a touchdown here, it's over. Like I think Indiana wins the football game if they are able to get it to 27, 24, because they're getting the ball back at least two more times and I don't trust that Penn State's offense is going to be able to put up points, especially considering, like you said, they had been on the field for all of nine plays and two and a half minutes by that point. They then come out, put forth this just ridiculous drive. They got the ball with 10 minutes and 20 seconds left in the fourth quarter. They gave it back with a minute 44 left in the fourth quarter. That shows guts. That shows a trust in basically... Everyone who took the field, I mean, they converted a third and nine, they converted a fourth and one, they converted a third and one, they punched it in on a fourth and goal. From the offensive line to the running game to the play calling, everything, Matt, that is as impressive of a drive considering the circumstances I think we could have seen out of Penn State in years. Oh, yeah, and and you hit it on the head when you said it was the circumstances behind it. That was... That was the drive they needed, and I'm going to open up some old wounds here <laughs> against Ohio State oh God. in in the, the previous two years. And I don't think they were capable of it with with the offensive line more than anything in 2017 or in 2018. But and and Jared wrote about this on the site on Sunday. You know, Penn State won this game on on their terms. They didn't back into it. They they made the plays, plural plays on that drive that they needed to make to to win that game. Matt, if I may interrupt, there was a play where the ball, where Sean Clifford <laughs> dropped the ball, it bounced. He somehow picked it up on a hop, threw it to Pat Fryerbuth, who was at the line of scrimmage, and then Pat, evade, Pat got through like four or five tackles for a 15-yard game. I have no idea how anything that I just said was possible, but... They made it work. They made it happen. I can't believe that they were able to. I did not know they had this in them. No, and it's you know they they go for the two fourth downs. They convert both of those. I don't know how many third down conversions they had on that drive, but it was just um, it it felt very much like a you know someone gets in the huddle before the drive and says we're taking the ball down and we're going to score. We're going to win the game right now. But but and here's they did the thing. It. Like I think we. I don't think it would have necessarily been stunning if they went out and they scored on that drive. It's the fact that they were able to do literally everything that they had to. They were able to score. They were able to kill clock. They were able to give their defense that desperately needed a breath. A breath. They were able to build up some confidence. They were able to win up front. They were able to run the football. They did 
everything in that drive. And I don't, I think considering what I think is going to happen this weekend, I think that might end up getting lost to history. Um, but yeah, I, I, as I think everyone could tell, like I am overjoyed at the fact that we're able to, I went back, I highly recommend, uh, setting aside 20 minutes and going on to ESPN plus if you have some time and watching it. Cause it really is that impressive and really Matt, my own, we, the only thing I'm upset about with it is that I predicted 35 to 24. They scored to make it 34 to 24 and they just gave Indiana a little bit too much time or else I would have looked like that knew something. Well, you would have been off by a point regardless because they didn't have the stones to go for two to make you make you right. But Man, if James Franklin did that and then in the post game press conference said, "Hey, I listened to the podcast," like that would you you would have been a real one for that, James. But neither here nor there. We we would have shut the site down and just gone out on top after that. I think probably. Yeah, yeah we. But, I mean, maybe maybe if I don't know, one of our listeners wants to sponsor the podcast, maybe it'll get a little bit more clout, and then James will hear about it that way. Just saying, in case anyone has some money that they want to uh, use on something that would be very stupid. Yeah, I, I you know we can we can probably do a whole podcast on that drive in particular and go play by play. But it was they had nine plays in the half before that. They go they double that on one drive alone. They they take the cl- they run the clock down. Or really, Indiana doesn't have a chance to do anything. You know, once they get the ball back, they yes, they went down and they got the field goal. Um, and you know, really, if it weren't for a um, impressive play by Ramsey, they probably uh, end up going, uh, finally, you know, turning it over on downs, and it ends thirty four twenty four. And Bill looks really, really smart. But it was just, it was the kind of drive that I feel like a lot of fans have been looking for 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 a couple years, um, or at least the ability to 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 move the football like that, and and. It seems like, and this is again taking social media too seriously. It feels like it's kind of being, well, yeah, but, and they, and you find someone, something else to that didn't go right. But um, look, they they scored thirty four points on a, on a solid defense. They did most of that without their their primary weapon, and they they ground out a win against, like we've said, is a pretty good football team. It's tie bow on this one. Um... Any, like, I have just, like, miscellaneous stuff we want to talk about. Uh, two things that really popped to mind. One, Penn State, we'll say, we'll say got a bit of a break with uh, the fumble or the refs calling on the field that Wap Fillier uh, touched the ball on that punt because, um, no, he didn't. I, I think you would probably agree with me on that one, Matt. Yeah, but I also, you know, again, we're watching on TV. The initial, the initial play looked an awful lot like it did. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if they ruled it didn't, then it wasn't getting overturned on replay either. But it, oh, um, it was getting, it's going to stand as called no matter what exactly. Yeah. But I, what I'll say to that is, Penn State took advantage of it, and you know, they could have very easily, after going three and out, gone three and out again, and ended up punting it further back, and you know, seven points on the board. Um, you know, they took advantage of it. They took advantage, I think, of, of every turnover they got. I think. I well, think no, the fumble. Because, no, because the fumble that um, it, how do I say this delicately? I think Ellis Brooks is probably a very lucky guy that they didn't look for targeting on that one. Um, after the drive where that happened, Devin Ford rushed for no gain and then a pair of sacks, and then they punted it down to Indiana's eight. So they uh, again, I think they that was the other one I was going to mention. I think. Ellis Brooks probably 
because Marquise Wilson made an outstanding play to jar that ball free, but that it looked like they might have uh, they might have been able to send Brooks to the locker room a bit early on that one. It was weird. The the first replay they showed looked painfully obvious, and then they showed a second one from a different angle where it looked like a a, a hard hit, an unfortunate hit, but didn't look br- nearly as brutal as it did from the first angle, which is probably what saved uh, Ellis Brooks' afternoon. Um, you know, with the, the revised standard for ejections from targeting, you know, having to confirm every aspect of it. But um, yeah, I'm I'm I was shocked when we came back from commercial and uh, Penn State still had the ball and they had the ball where they did. Yeah, and there was nothing about because I mean, even the broadcasters were like, yeah, they should probably take a look at that. Neither here nor there. Uh, last thing, Sean Clifford's performance. Uh, I think he, I, I think it was. Very, he did everything that he needed to do. Um, I think it was one of those games where he had the chance. Once KJ Hamor went out, I think him being able to take the game to that next level was probably taken off the table. But I thought he, with his arm, with his legs, with his decision making, I thought this was, uh, despite the fact 11 for 23, 179 yards, very, very, very solid and capable game out of him. Oh, absolutely. I think this is one of the ones where you kind of, especially at, at quarterback, you can toss the numbers aside and just say he made the plays they needed him to make, whether it be with his arm or with his legs. But he he stepped up when they needed him to and um, you know, really was, I think, the, the primary reason they were able to come away with the win. I, I do think you will probably agree with me that they need him to be a little bit more than just capable uh, next week. He's gonna, I, I think Clifford's going to have to have a big boy game next week. Um, I think a lot of people are going to have to have a big boy game next <laughs> yeah, week, Phil. Um, <laughs> this is a this is a very good Penn State team. Uh, I think that it's quite possible that they're going to see the difference between a very good team, or I, I'm actually not going to say this because I think it might make some of our listeners angry. But let's say there was a press conference that James Franklin held last year that I think might. Um, some of what I think could happen. We'll just talk about this really briefly because we're going to have a lot of stuff on the site. How are you feeling heading into this Ohio State game, Matt? My guess is you and I feel exactly the same way. Um, I'm going to start this. I'm going to answer this by starting like this. There are, there are two teams in the country that I think are just have demonstrated their head and shoulders above everyone else, and it's LSU and it's Ohio State. Um, LSU, by virtue of, of the wins they've got um, and the way they've done it, Ohio State just... I'll put it this way. Their second closest game of the year, um, points margin-wise, was was their Rutgers win yesterday by 35. Where, uh, let's say they didn't have their foot pressed down on the gas. Yeah, they, they and then they have two games where they won by 24. Their season over against FAU and then the, uh, the Michigan State game last month. But they have just... I wrote about it in the, the post that we put up on Sunday that had the 19-point uh, point spread, opening point spread. And... Just the, the numbers that you, you know, whether it be individually, you know, what Justin Fields has done, 41 touchdowns responsible for. I think it's just the one turnover, the one interception. I don't think he's lost a fumble this year. Um, just absolutely absurd. They've, they're they scoring over 50 points a game. They're holding opponents to under 10. Um, I Penn State is going to be the stiffest test they've had to date. Um, they finished with two really strong teams in Penn State and Michigan. But I think you just, you look top to bottom and it's just, they're at another level from pretty much everyone else in the country other than probably LSU. 
Um, I think they're better than Clemson. I think they're better than Alabama. I think they're better than Georgia. Um, I don't. I, there's one team in the country I think that has the the capability to hang with them um, and keep it, you know, manageable, and that's LSU. I because LSU can get into a shootout with them, basically. Exactly. It's it's kind of I think there's a lot of talk earlier in the year with Alabama where you beat Alabama by you have to outscore them. That's what LSU did. I think that game was a lot closer than it than it actually was on the scoreboard. And we don't have that. There's the very obvious disclaimer of um, somewhat. Someone on uh, Alabama wasn't exactly playing at 100% uh, to attack of Iowa couldn't really walk all that particularly well. But having said that, I mean, going into uh, Tuscaloosa and winning, especially the way that LSU did where it did whatever it wanted to do against Alabama's defense was it doesn't get much more impressive than that. I, Penn State is, is going to be and then Michigan next week for Ohio State are going to be far and away their two biggest tests of the year to this point. Um, but I th- I'm, the Wisconsin win they had um, last month, or I don't know, remember what the final score was. Um, Wisconsin is not a bad team either. They're not, they don't have the athleticism, especially on defense, um, that a Penn State or a Michigan has. But I, I just I don't see any re- way um, Penn State hangs with them over four quarters. I think they can hang around for two, three quarters, um, especially if their defense plays up to where they had over the first seven games of the year and not the last two. Um, but it's just Ohio state is just relentless, um, on, in all three phases of the game, there's mm-hmm. the level of athleticism. They roll out at every spot on the field, two or three deep in some cases is just, um, really unmatched by anyone in the country this year. And I don't think Penn state keeps this one terribly close in the end, but I don't think there's anyone in the country other than LSU who would be able to do that either. So it's, I would love to be proven wrong. Like, like we, like all of us would, but I think just reading the tea leaves a little bit here, I don't think there's a whole lot of um, optimism or confidence. Certainly not like we've had the last couple of years going into this game. Yeah. I mean, they're, when I'm looking at Ohio state, they're what fourth in SP plus in offense and first on defense. Uh, Bill C. said the best SP plus ratings for a team. Uh, number one, 2013 Florida State. Number two, 2008 USC. And the number three, this Ohio State team. So, And the season's not even over yet. Yeah, season's not even <laughs> over yet. Um, also, I looked at their depth chart the other day, uh, and I have it up in front of me now. Senior, senior, redshirt, senior, junior, grad transfer, redshirt, sophomore, redshirt, sophomore, redshirt, senior, redshirt, junior, sophomore, junior on offense. Uh it has Zach Harrison in here. That's going to be Chase Young. So junior, redshirt, senior, redshirt, senior, sophomore, senior, junior, junior, redshirt, sophomore, senior, junior, junior, redshirt, senior. This is also a team that's very old. <laughs> so. Well, it, it's a perfect example of I've talked about this a hundred times. So I'm not going to get too in depth in it, but it's the combination of elite talent and experience. It's that's the the formula to be be elite in college football is that combination, and that's. That's what Ohio State has this year that, you know, Penn State ideally in another year or two gets there. Yeah, um, ideally in a year. But, yeah, this um, – I'm not particularly uh, – I will say this. When I heard that the projected line was going to be 14, I was making plans to go to a casino on Monday. Uh, now that's kind of getting uh, adjusted now that it's at 19. And I, actually, I think – 
Let me it's pull, gone down to 18. It's I, gone just, down I, to 18? I just pulled it up, yeah. so it's gone down a point in the last couple hours. But So if people want to keep wagering on that and get it down to like 16 and a half, that would make me, uh, that'd make me feel really good. But We'll, we'll say um, our, our old friend, um, I just uh, uh, blanked on his name, our Florida State friend from uh, SB Nation, Bud, um, his early picks for the week actually has Penn, he's taking Penn State plus 19. So um, that, that, that's a smidgen of hope that will – at least one guy, one guy who follows this sport for a living, says that that they will keep it closer against Ohio State than anyone has to this point. Yeah, Bud is more. Uh, got, I have to pull this out. Like, I saw the number for Week Thirteen. That surprised fifty-eight percent of the money that's coming in is on Ohio State. I'm a bit surprised by that because I figured that it'd be a little bit more. Um, It'd be a little bit more towards Ohio State with how they've been able to do this year. So neither here nor there. Let me. Um, uh, we're going to be able to. We're going to be doing a ton of stuff this week. Make sure you keep reading the site. Make sure um, you check out Eleven Warriors if you want an Ohio State perspective of things. This week is going to be a. It might not end fun, but during the lead up to it, we're going to have a good time and we're going to do everything we can to prod our Ohio State brethren. So we'll uh, leave that there. Let's go into the Big Ten slate this week. Ohio State 56, Rutgers 21. Justin Fields threw the ball 19 times. J.K. Dobbins ran it 17 times. Like we mentioned, what Ohio State was trying to do in this game was basically nobody get hurt, put a lot of points on the board, by the time halftime rolls around, we'll put our second or third or fourth stringers in there and just deal with it from uh, from that point on. Yeah, I, I, I had it on one of the TVs for for uh, maybe 15, 20 minutes just for the, the sheer hilarity of it. Um, to Rutgers' credit, they they forced a couple turnovers. They they found the end zone a couple times against um, once at, against Ohio State starters or at least uh, early on in the game. I don't know who exactly was on the field, but... Um, yeah, this one felt very much like a uh, a practice for Ohio State. There was a there was a good piece uh, by my pal Patrick Mayhorn of Buckeye Sports Bulletin on how they put something on tape, uh, some mesh routes that they were running that basically served to make Penn State aware that it's something that we could see out of them. So go go uh, if you were interested, go check that out. I'll retweet it at some point. Whatever. Uh, interesting game in, uh, in Iowa city, Iowa, Kinnick magic, Minnesota, 23 to 19 Minnesota could not run the ball at all. Uh, they were able to, it, it reminded me Matt a lot of when Penn state went to Kinnick in 2017, where Minnesota was able to move the ball a whole hell of a lot, but once it got into the red zone, they just were not able to make anything happen with the obvious difference being they weren't able to make that one play, pull that one play out of their hat to, uh, to take down, uh, take down the Hawkeyes and Kinnick. It felt an awful lot like most Iowa games do. And, um, Urban Meyer talked a lot about this game on the uh, Fox pregame show Saturday morning. Um, one segment breaking down the section might've been on big 10 network, but there was a segment where he broke down what Iowa does on defense against an RPO team like Minnesota, as far as how they um, change up who's responsible for which gaps and and whatnot. Um, Pretty interesting. I'm not going to get into the X's and O's of it, 
But it, it, the short version was pretty much that Iowa do, Iowa handles that type of offensive look differently than other teams, and it's a little bit of a chess match as far as um, you know. Are you going Are you going to catch Iowa in the right coverage for what you want to do? Or are they going to, um, or vice versa? And so that, that's point one. Point two that he brought up was what we've talked a lot about um, with Iowa over the years is that they as a defense are going to let you move the ball between the twenties, but they're going to make you earn, earn the touchdown in the red zone. And much like Penn state was unable to against many against Minnesota and Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota wasn't able to make enough plays. Um, they moved the ball quite a bit. Tanner Morgan had 368 yards passing, um, but they you know, only, only the 19 points to show for it. They had to settle for a couple of field goals um, they had a uh, drop fourth down pass inside the five um, Would have been going nice for to a late score. Last week. Exactly. I think um, I made a comment during the game that there were a couple of drop passes. Um, Tanner Morgan had a nine, nine more incompletions on the day than he did uh, against Penn State. <laughs> he was still 25 of 36 for 368 yards, but um, – this felt an awful lot. One, I was a good team. I don't think I don't want to discount them, but you go into that environment um, as Minnesota the week after. Um, what I'm going to go quote Urban Meyer again here. What he called their Super Bowl. Um, that's a hard thing to do. You know, you saw Ohio State two years ago after their big win over Penn State at home. They went to Kinnick the next week and just got boat raced right out of the stadium. So um, that's a tough place to win against a tough football team. Um, curious to see where this goes for both of them. Um, Iowa, obviously not going to win the West um, with three conference losses, but Minnesota's got an interesting game at home to end the year against Wisconsin that will decide the Mm -hmm. Big Ten West, assuming both teams take care of business next week. And as we saw this week, Wisconsin, you know, they lost that absolutely stunning game to Illinois, and they got the... Got, got the brakes beaten off of them by Ohio State, but they were able to figure some stuff out against Iowa. They were able to defend their home field against Iowa. And this week, that Wisconsin rushing attack did whatever it wanted to against Nebraska. They went 37-21, to 320 yards on the ground. We're done talking about Nebraska. They're, they just bore me at this point, and maybe they'll be relevant sometime soon. Um, but with Wisconsin... They're an interesting team to me because I think everyone would agree that after Penn, Penn State might move up a spot, I, depending on if Alabama gets punished for not having Tua, maybe, maybe, maybe Penn State. No, sorry, I was looking at uh, I was looking at this week's AP people. AP had Penn State at nine. Last week's playoff rankings, they were nine. Maybe they move up a spot with Minnesota losing. I, I don't know what's going to end up happening there. Maybe Oklahoma jumps them. Could be weird. Penn State's going to slide down, maybe to the very cusp of the teens, maybe somewhere else after the Ohio State game. That's going to be pretty big, Matt, because if the only Big Ten team ahead of Penn State is Wisconsin, then I think Penn State's going to have some room to be able to move up and make it to the Rose Bowl. If that team is Minnesota, I'm not as optimistic, regardless of what happens in the Big Ten Championship game. But I think for the rest of the year, Penn State fans should probably be be uh, be Wisconsin fans. Until that uh, potential Big Ten title game against Ohio State, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a... Uh, 
it's one of those situations, a lot's going to happen, a lot's going to have to play out, but if Penn State's right around 8 or 9 next week and they move down to a spot where the only Big Ten team that is going to be ahead of them uh, after the final week of the year is going to be Wisconsin and Penn State's going to be in shouting distance of Wisconsin, I like the Nittany Lions' chances to make it to the Rose Bowl, but we'll have to see what happens there. Um, which blowout do you want to talk about first, Matt? The one involved... The one involving a good team or the one involving two bad teams? Um, let's go to the two bad teams first. I want to talk about that one a little bit more just because it's hilarious. Northwestern, 45, UMass, 6. Um, I, I, let, let me tell you, the, our listeners, the reason why I find this hilarious. Bill and one of his, his 9 to 5 job coworkers invested, I think, what did you tell me, Bill? $40, like 40 bucks. to send, what, eight five different people. people Five so, random internet people to the Northwestern UMass game out of the goodness of their hearts. Goodness of our hearts is a stretch. But after playing the ticket price game last week, I saw this. the tickets were $2. And as a joke, I have to stress that I did not expect anyone was going to take me up on this. I've tweeted that if anyone wanted to go to that game, I would... Ha- pay for them um i would pay for one person to get a ticket to said game um it ended up you know a few people were in a few people retweeted it whatever but then one of my co-workers ended up retweeting it as well or ended up quote tweeting saying listen i will join in on this and it got retweeted by the reddit college football account and a few people took us up on it uh we ended up sending uh, five people, one person who lives in Chicago and their stepdad, um, one dude who is in Chicago and his girlfriend, and then the one that I felt the I actually felt bad about this one. Like I had a legitimate moral dilemma about this. Uh, a Penn State student who is part of Com Radio and was in Evanston to call a women's volleyball game. Like I had this little thought in the back of my head, like I can't send a Penn State person to a Northwestern football game against UMass while Penn State and Indiana are playing, but we ended up doing that. Apparently, it seemed like they had a good time. They saw an absolutely wretched football game. Northwestern's quarterback against UMass went 7 for 13 for 76 yards and two picks. Um, <laughs> Northwestern did run the ball pretty well, which is nice, but yeah. I, they, I, they ran the ball 52 times and threw it 13. Against UMass. <laughs> this, was, this was just... oh. UMass, it, it was it was amazing and terrible all all at once. UMass is so bad that winless that they have a win over Akron who is winless. But despite that, they are one the second to worst team in college football in SP Plus is Akron. The worst is UMass, and UMass is the worst by a pretty comfortable margin. So that was a real bad. Real bad. I I don't think Northwestern should. You know, Northwestern just giving up athletics between football and basketball altogether wouldn't be the worst. Maybe just like focus on. I think they're pretty good at lacrosse, maybe or something like that. Soccer. They've been good. Soccer. Women's soccer. I think they've been pretty good from time to time. Yeah, Northwestern should just like fold their athletic. They should go by way of the University of Chicago, which you know is apt for where they are. Northwestern should be thankful that Rutgers exists in the Big Ten because oh, otherwise we'd be making a lot more jokes at their expense. Oh God, let me. I'm trying to look. I just did the Control F thing and it messed everything up. 
They are 84th in SP plus with the number 123 offense in college football. 20th in defense, so that's nice. Rutgers is oh Rutgers is 110th. So they but they do have a better offense than Northwestern, so that's nice. Um, speaking of teams with bad offenses, uh, Michigan State went into Ann Arbor and got little brothered. They lost 44 to 10. Uh, Shea Patterson was magnificent through the air, 24 for 33, 384 yards, four passing touchdowns. Northwestern, I'm not well, basically Northwestern. Michigan State couldn't get anything going through the air or through the ground. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch all that much of this game, Matt, but it just seems like something is like no team in the Big Ten. Not Rutgers, not Northwestern. No one needs a hard reset. I think as much as Michigan State. And and I think longtime listeners of the podcast are aware that my fiance is a Michigan State fan, and we we were at dinner on Saturday night. Um, well, obviously, well after the game, which by the way, Michigan State was up seven nothing on this game early. They they went right down the field on their second or third drive um, with a couple of really nice plays by Lewerke, Um and then it, the wheels just fell off. But um, the question that that Jackie asked me was essentially like, what does Michigan State do? And I I equated this in a sense to where Penn State was, you know, a, you know, ten years ago or so, where the program just felt really stagnant and there wasn't a whole lot of desire for change among the people running it. Um, there was an article in the local paper here in Detroit um, last week, leading up to the game, pretty much saying that no one's talking about what D'Antonio is going to do and a phrase that Penn state fans know all too well, that Mark D'Antonio has earned the right to decide when he's done. He's the winningest coach in program history. Um, you know, things that we've heard a lot around happy Valley, but this is, this is a team that aside from two years ago when they won 10 games, won the holiday bowl, um, upset Penn state. If you take that year out, they've been an under 500 team the three of the last four years, I believe, or maybe they were at right at 500 last year. I can't remember. Um, but after that fiasco last year, Mark D'Antonio's answer was to keep his entire offensive staff employed and just change their titles. He literally rearranged the tech, the deck chairs mm-hmm. on the Titanic. And guess what happened, Bill? It worked. No, they're they're yeah. four and six. Need to beat Rutgers and Maryland to get bowl eligible this year, which they probably will do. And you know, somehow they'll they'll win a bowl game and they'll play the three straight wins in the year. And Mark D'Antonio somehow decides to stick around. But this feels like a program, like you said, desperately in need of of some fresh blood. And I don't know. I, I'm of the opinion that if you're a Michigan State fan, that needs to start with Mark D'Antonio. But at the very least, there needs to be some some significant changes made, especially along the offensive staff. This is just um, they got run out off the field by by their rival in a game that was not as close as forty four ten. Yeah, I mean Michigan, M- Michigan, I think more takes more pride. I mean they do this. They they've done this to Penn State the last couple times. Penn State's gone to Ann Arbor, but I think they probably take more pride in doing this to Michigan State exponentially so than they do in doing it to Penn State. So it's not necessarily surprising that they poured it on like this, but yeah, Michigan State's just, ugh, they need something. And all credit to Michigan. Like, I don't think Michigan is going to come close to beating Ohio State. 
Um, they have to survive going to Indiana next week, which has the potential to be a really weird football game. But you know what? Indiana, I mean, Michigan's peaking at the right time. And again, I don't think they win in uh, when they play host to Ohio State. I think Ohio State's streak over them continues. But all you could really ask for is to be playing your best football this time of year. And I think you'd agree, Matt, that they're absolutely doing that. I think since uh, halftime of the Penn State game, they've been a different football team. Mm -hmm. And kudos to them. Um, they're, they they might have something to say in that Ohio State game, but eventually Ohio State wins out. Still, they're uh, they're in a good spot. So, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think that's it. Is there anything that you would like to add to this one? Everyone be safe this week and um, don't, don't worry too much about the football game. Yeah, don't worry too much about the football game. That will uh, that'll take care of itself. Um, and no matter what Penn State season after this game, it's not over. There's uh, what is sure to be a very funny game against Rutgers after, followed by you know there's there, there's a path that ends up ends with this team ending up in the Rose Bowl. So there's still a whole lot going on, and who knows? Maybe they're able to. Maybe they're able to have something to say in who's going to Indianapolis. I'm going to give everyone a very, very stupid false sense of hope going into this game on Saturday. But three years ago when Penn State upset Ohio State um, in the 2016 game, the spread of that game um, was right around 19. I think I saw 19 and a half somewhere earlier today. So, um, hey, if it stays at 18, then, then they're a smaller underdog than they were the last time they beat Ohio State. So um, it, it can happen. To uh, paraphrase something that a wise man once said, they said that you were 19-point underdogs. What are they going to say now? Um, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, we'll certainly talk more about this game later in the week and all week on the site. Make sure you're reading and supporting the site. Make sure you're following us on our various social media channels. And then we odds, odds are we'll have a few more podcasts this week. So make sure you're subscribing on our various platforms where you can find the podcast, like we mentioned uh, last week. We're now on Spotify, so give us a go subscribe on Spotify. That helps with the whole algorithm thing, as does subscribing on iTunes and leaving us a five-star review there. Buy some shirts, all that stuff. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of World Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.